time for our regular segment, Legally Speaking, with Michael Mulligan, barrister and solicitor with Mulligan Defense Lawyers. Morning, Michael. How are we doing? Good morning. I'm doing great. Always good to be here. Lots of interesting stories on the agenda today, and I may have even seen a tree preservation bylaw <laughs> among them. Yes, indeed. Um, we can actually start with that one, if you like. Sure. That's uh, a, a topical uh, issue. Um, so this particular decision was just released this month from the B.C. Supreme Court in Victoria. And it's a case that involved uh, a dispute uh, that a uh, farm owner had uh, with the District of Central Saanich. Uh, and the dispute involved what authority... Uh, the District of Central Saanich had to impose their tree protection bylaw and how far that went. Uh, and in this case, the particular dispute was that the uh, the uh, plaintiff owned a farm uh, and uh, they were wanting to clear the farm in order to increase the amount of farming one could do. <laughs> As the uh, judge uh, smartly pointed out, one cannot farm in a forest. Uh, and the property in question, part of it was in the agricultural land reserve and part was not. Uh, it was common ground that the municipality uh, did not have authority to prevent trees from being removed in the agricultural land reserve to allow farming. Uh, but the District of Central Saanich took the position that the, their tree protection bylaw permitted them to prevent trees from being removed in the part of the uh, farm outside of the agricultural land reserve. Uh, and when the uh, farm owner went to remove the trees, the municipality sent uh, what was described as a sort of cease and desist letter ordering them to stop. Uh, and uh, the uh, bylaw in question pointed out uh, various uh, fines that could be imposed and obligations to put up new trees and so forth. Uh, and so this case involves, first of all, uh, a discussion about what authorities does do municipalities actually have to restrict trees from being removed. Uh, and it is far from unlimited. Uh, and that probably makes sense, because if you think about it for even a, a, a few minutes, you might realize that if a municipality were to say no trees can be removed, period, right, hmm. uh, people's land would be, in many cases, valueless, right? You could do nothing with it, right? Yeah. If you had a bunch of trees, you couldn't build a house, you couldn't build a building, you couldn't do anything, right? Uh, essentially, you would have expropriated your property. Yeah. Um, and so the court begins by looking at the community charter, which is the uh, British Columbia piece of legislation that delegates to municipalities the authority to do various things, including uh, making bylaws with respect to trees. And indeed, there is some authority to pass bylaws with respect to trees, but it is limited. Uh, and one of the ways in which municipalities are limited by the province in terms of their ability to make bylaws respecting trees is that bylaws cannot uh, have the effect of, uh, tree bylaws cannot have the effect of uh, preventing uh, somebody from developing their property to the, its permitted density. And so when you think about mm -hmm. that, for example, let's say a property zoned for to build a, a home, mm -hmm. right? The municipality couldn't say no trees can come down. Your lot has got trees all over it, therefore no house for you, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. They can't do that. Um, uh, and so uh, one of the issues here was, well, what, what do those concepts mean uh, in terms of the uh, concept of um, uh, density and development? What do those terms mean? 
And the municipality tried, uh, Central Saanich, tried arguing a few things. First of all, they tried arguing that our letter saying you better stop this or stop this, you can't take those trees out, didn't amount to any kind of a decision that could be reviewed in court. Uh, that got short shift, right? It wasn't the letter saying, you know, maybe you don't want to take the trees out. It was, you know, ordering the people to take the trees out. So indeed, the court found that that was something that could be reviewed. Then the next issue was the issue of what do those concepts mean, that concept of development and density, hmm. bearing in mind that municipalities cannot restrict tree removal in a way that would prevent you from developing your property uh, to the maximum density permitted by the zoning for that property. Interesting. Uh, and so the municipality argued that those concepts ought to have a narrow meaning Meaning only that uh, you would not, you couldn't, the tree protection bylaw couldn't interfere with your right to build a structure on your property, hmm. like the house, right, or the farmhouse, or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but the judge in this case concluded that no, that's not what those terms mean. And the concept of development and the concept of density includes application to people who are wanting to farm. Uh, and those concepts include the idea of developing a farm to increase the yield, how much you can grow on it, pointing out, of course, you can't farm in a forest. Yeah. Um, and so the judge concluded that uh, this was indeed a decision by the municipality when they sent the, uh, sent the farm owner the letter saying cease and desist, right? So it could be reviewed by the court. Moreover, they, the judge found that the district's decision to tell the people stop, you can't take these trees down, was unreasonable uh, because the uh, tree protection bylaw is not applicable to the extent that it would prevent somebody from um, fully developing their property in accordance with the uh, zoning allowed there. And in this case, the zoning permitted the, there to be a farm, and therefore, you cannot have a tree protection bylaw that protects prevents the person from fully utilizing their farm. Uh, to increase density, uh, that is to say yield, uh, by developing it, which is to say cutting down the trees so that you can farm, uh, not in a forest. Uh, and so that is the particular decision in this uh, case of the Central Sandwich. And I must say, this was a marathon. Looking at this thing, uh, there were seven, 13 affidavits, the uh, 500 pages of material, all kinds of authorities. The case went on for days and days. Uh, and the uh, costs have been ordered against the municipality, which will, I suspect, not be insubstantial. Hmm. Uh, and so the important takeaways for people, first of all, there's a, the particular decision in terms of what that means. You know, if you wanted to take down trees on your property to farm, well, the court has determined that, yes, if you're zoned for farming, development and density includes taking trees down for that purpose. But it's also important to remember more broadly uh, that there is that constraint in terms of what municipalities are permitted to do at all. Uh, and so to the extent that uh, if a municipality said no trees can come down, the bylaw, even if it says that, can't have that effect uh, because the uh, capacity, the legal capacity of a municipality, which was, of course, delegated to it by the province, is not unlimited in that regard. Hmm. And while they can do things to protect trees, uh, they can't do it in a way uh, that would prevent a person from developing uh, their property in accordance with what zoning might otherwise um, permit. And so that may provide some solace, of course, for people who are worried that, oh my goodness, uh, 
you know, I've got a bunch of saplings on my uh, property. Uh, you know, coal is going to prevent me from doing anything anywhere. How am I? I'm, I'm hemmed in by, <laughs> you know, one foot tall trees or something. I can't build anything other than uh, something sitting on top of a pole. Uh, that that is not uh, what or how that is likely to be interpreted, given the restricted capacity that municipalities have to impose these kinds of rules. Uh, it's limited and probably good that it's limited, right? Uh, because the, all of those kinds of rules, they, they introduce sort of a, an interesting tension between what other people might like and the rights of a person who owns the property, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, everyone else in the community might think this is swell. I wish to just keep all these uh, lots, uh, a bunch of trees, a forest. They're lovely, right? Yeah. Uh, but to the extent you do that, really what you're doing would amount to expropriating the capacity of the person who owns the lot to build a home or build a make a farm or construct a building, whatever might ordinarily be uh, permitted there. Uh, and so property owners should not be concerned that uh, a bylaw, no matter what it says, is going to have the effect of preventing them uh, from developing their property in accordance with what uh, zoning uh, might ordinarily allow. You might have other issues if you're trying to rezone your property, of course, yes, right? Yeah. But if somebody says, look, I, I purchased a residential lot here, permits me to build a house of this size with these setbacks and so forth, right? Yes. Um, you, you should not be concerned that the municipality is going to take a liking to uh, trees in such a way that you will not be able to build your house or construct your farm or do any of those things. Uh, it's a, a message or a clear interpretation from the Supreme Court uh, about uh, how those uh, powers are limited. And I must say as well, reading the whole history of the thing, uh, it was an odyssey. And it uh, you know it goes on for pages and pages setting out the uh, back and forth uh, with this municipality uh, between the uh, farm owner and the municipality, sending them the things and threatening things and telling them to stop doing things um, uh, and so on. And, and that, I must say, is also uh, unfortunate, uh, right, that you would uh, ha have a circumstance where you would uh, wind up with such uh, an extensive period of litigation and uh, so much tension over uh, these things. Um, but uh, that's the result. The uh, Everyone else in Central Saanich will be paying what I suspect will be a large legal bill and a bill of costs, and the farm owners uh, will be able to uh, proceed with their farm. Very topical, Michael. Much appreciated. Let's take our first break. Legally speaking, we'll continue right after this in just a moment. All right, we're back on the air here at CFAX 1070. Michael Mulligan, continuing his conversation, Mulligan Defense Lawyers, legally speaking, just talked about tree bylaws and recent findings made by the B.C. Supreme Court that may well prove to be relevant in future cases because, of course, they're a decisist, stand by that which has been decided as part of the legal concepts that you've taught us about, Michael. What's next on the agenda today? Uh, next on the agenda is another uh, timely decision, this time uh, just out of the B.C. Court of Appeal. Uh, and it, it's timely uh, in the sense that uh, we've talked previously about uh, provincial government uh, uh, proposal to try to expand the roles of uh, like unsupervised paralegals uh, yeah. to provide family law services or potentially the roles of notaries and whether how they should be regulated, what should be going on there. Uh, and it's a uh, case involving, I must say, a very unfortunate fact pattern. It's a woman who at the time of the uh, trial decision, this was the appeal, of course it just came out, um, she was 82 years of age, and or 84 years of age at the time of the trial. 
and the background is that a few years prior to that, uh, there was a agreement that was brokered by her son-in-law, um, which uh, was uh, described by the trial judge as an unconscionable agreement uh, for the sale of her home. Um, the the uh, elderly woman in question owned a home in Grand Forks, I think on some 20 acres, um, and uh, this uh, agreement uh, that uh, she signed uh, provided uh, that the uh, home would be sold to a proposed wine company. Uh, and while the agreement said that the purchase price was $465,000, the agreement provided that no money was to be provided initially uh, and that uh, she might be paid uh, from a hoped future profits from this wine proposal, proposed company, with an unspecified amortization period that might run anywhere from 20 to 40 years. This is hmm. for somebody who's 84. Yeah, that's... Um, hmm. Not... Not a good agreement. No, no. That would, be a, that would be a kind description of it, uh, described as unconscionable by the uh, trial judge. Yeah. Uh, and the unfortunate thing here that's the cause of this particular case going to the Court of Appeal um, is that this uh, elderly woman who was described by the judge as somebody who would have appeared uh, clearly uh, uh, would have appeared vulnerable. Um, she was living in a care facility at the time, was recovering from hip surgery, um, was taken by two other people who were involved in the transaction to a notary in order to convey uh, her property, signing this thing called a Form A, sort of a paperwork you would use to convey property, be filed in the land title office. Mm -hmm. uh, and notaries, unlike lawyers, aren't there to provide legal advice. Uh, they sort of execute transactions. Um, and here, the notary in question... Um, didn't make any contemporaneous notes, didn't advise this elderly woman that she should get independent legal advice, uh, didn't make uh, inquiries about the nature of the agreement or the appropriateness of it. Uh, instead, uh, what happened is the notary charged $50 and witnessed the woman's signature signing away her home. Hmm. Uh, and so that's how the woman lost her home. Uh, and the trial judge found that had the notary made even the most basic of inquiries, uh, they would have discovered uh, potentially the problem with this agreement. And the trial judge uh, found the notary liable uh, on the basis that the judge found the notary had breached even the limited duty of the duty of care that even a notary would have to make some further inquiries about things like has this person gotten independent legal advice and you know those kinds of things and furthermore found that as a result of not making those inquiries uh, the notary caused this transaction to proceed and ordered the notary uh, to pay the $465,000 the woman lost by signing away her home in this fashion. That got appealed to the BC Court of Appeal. And the BC Court of Appeal didn't find that the judge made any mistakes in terms of analyzing the uh, responsibility of the notary to make further inquiries. That would be the sort of the standard of care that would be expected of a, even a notary in those circumstances. Mm -hmm. um, but the Court of Appeal found that the trial judge's decision uh, had to be overturned because there wasn't enough evidence for the trial judge to conclude a second part of this, which is the concept of causation. Huh. 
And the way that works is when you're, if you're suing somebody, right, alleging they breached their duty of care to you, you'd have to first of all show, did they have a duty of care? What was that? And that was it breached? And then you also have to establish on a balance of probabilities that that breach caused your loss. And the Court of Appeal found that even though none of those things were done, like no notes, no inquiries about independent legal advice, just $50 for witnessing the signature of this um, vulnerable woman who was there with two other people who were involved with this um, transaction, um, they found that there wasn't enough evidence for the trial judge to conclude that that breach of the duty of care caused the loss. Uh, And in part that came because of the fact that this elderly woman, when she testified, she was obviously confused when she was testifying. Her answers often didn't, by that point, make sense. Several years had gone by. She was saying things like, but I am quite sure I was not myself agreeing to it, but my pen was. Hmm. (laughs) Uh, I suppose uh, things like that. And so it wasn't clear on the evidence that had the notary done what they should have done in terms of making further inquiries or advising the woman to get proper independent legal advice, that it would have prevented this transaction. Uh, It wasn't the case where the woman said, look, if I had only been told what this was, I never would have done it, right? She was obviously confused about it by the time she testified, and the Court of Appeal just said, look, there just wasn't enough evidence that even if she had been advised that she should get independent legal advice, that she would have done so and followed the the advice. And so, sadly for her, uh, the result is that um, the claim has been struck out or has been overturned on appeal, I should say. And like the case is also, as I said at the outset, timely, because it's sort of this is a decision sort of in the context of uh, current contemplated changes to permit more transactions, uh, including in family law cases, which can be very complicated uh, by people who may not be um, fully trained to do those things. Yeah. Uh, and, and I should say there's been concern expressed uh, uh, in the uh, to the law society about that um, in, in terms of whether that is in the public interest because you would hope uh, that uh, a lawyer who would have a higher standard of care and a higher duty of care to somebody if they if a vulnerable apparently vulnerable per- elderly person came in with this agreement that would provide for the uh, transfer of her home you would hope that there would be further inquiries made and legal advice offered and you would hope it would serve to prevent um, some of the, this kind of a, a problem rather than the sort of $50 we completed the transaction. Um, and, well, you know, I, I can appreciate how people often are not wanting to spend um, extra money on things, right? And, and that's yeah. why I think, frankly, notaries still exist. Even <laughs> they, they came from a time when there weren't enough lawyers around the province, and so we had this concept of notaries to provide um, these, you know, some services. Um, you know, I don't know whether it's a great public policy to have uh, a, a number of people who are not offering legal advice who are for $50 uh, causing these kinds of transactions to occur because this isn't going to be a isolated thing, right? Uh, there are lots of people out there that are vulnerable, not only people who might be elderly, not appreciate the nature of what they're doing or what they're signing, even though the pen's moving, but 
you can also uh, imagine quite easily how those same kinds of concerns about things like capacity and whether somebody is doing something is unconscionable um, could uh, arise with other transactions, including, for example, in the family sphere, right? Yeah. Um, you know, you could have somebody where there's a great power imbalance. You could have people that don't have a full understanding or appreciation of what their rights are. And I'm worried uh, that if you take some of these areas which uh, are indeed very complicated and which can have huge implications for people in terms of, you know, their homes and uh, support and children, all of these things, uh, it strikes me that um, we may well be better off with a circumstance where the people doing those transactions are properly legally trained and have some obliga- have some further legal obligation to not only you know, suggest that perhaps you should get legal advice, but provide the legal advice to somebody, hmm. you know, have a, have a discussion with the person about, okay, now, do you appreciate here what is your signing? We're going to have this discussion independently. Do you appreciate the effect of this? You know, what's the basis for it? Some additional inquiries, which are not going to happen um, with somebody who's being paid $50 and their view of it is I witnessed the signature and confirmed the person's identity and signed the documents which caused your house to be transferred away. Um, And so uh, I think this is informative and we should be taking this into account when we're thinking about uh, whether there should be an expansion uh, of the kinds of transactions and things that are being done uh, by non-lawyers appreciating that they may save money all right. There's no doubt that, uh, you know, it would have cost, I'm sure, this person more than $50 if they were having a lawyer help with the transaction. Uh, and perhaps that's why, when you think about it, this in this particular case, the elderly woman appears to have been taken to the notary by two other men who yeah. were involved with the transaction. Yeah. Uh, and so that was another thing the judge pointed out, right? It, it, you, when I read the decision, I, I couldn't help but think, you know, if you were somebody trying to get an elderly person to sign their home away on the promise of possible future payments over 40 years or something, um, your first stop might not be the trusted lawyer. No. Your first stop might be somebody who's going to, for 50 bucks, sign the forms and not ask any questions. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I'm not sure that we are all going to benefit by expanding that. Uh, it's a tragic case. It's really a shame. It's understandable why the Court of Appeal uh, made the decision they did, but... Uh, Boy, oh boy, you you just hope that there would be more provided uh, by way of advice to vulnerable seniors rather than just sign here, I've confirmed your identity, thank you for the $50 for big things like this. That just, to my mind, doesn't seem enough. Indeed, totally agree. Michael Mulligan with Mulligan Defense Lawyers. Legally speaking, thank you so much as always. Until next week. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. All right. Bye now.